Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. If there was a referendum on a United Ireland tomorrow, how would you vote? Absolutely, certainly in favour. I don't think it would work. I personally don't, and I'm from the North. If a border poll was held in the morning, the Republic would easily vote to unite with the six counties. But that proposition would be emphatically rejected by the North. That's just one of the findings of a huge body of research carried out by Ipsos for the Irish Times. This is something different. This is a very large, simultaneous poll that took place in both jurisdictions. In fact, it's two polls. And in parallel with that, we've done a series of focus groups amongst undecided and swing voters. Now, as keen as voters in the South are on a united Ireland, once you start asking questions like, well, if that meant giving up the tricolour and our on a vein, the picture changes. Oh, I definitely wouldn't be changing our flag. You wouldn't be on for that? No. What about the national anthem? No. No change in that? No. Do you like the national anthem? I do. I would have kind of regrets about it but I would be in favour and I think certainly compromises would have to be made and if that's one of them I would have to agree with it. History wise yeah people are saying oh, it would be lovely and stuff but I don't know if it would work because you know then the unionists would think then that they're being discriminated against. Do you think they would accept the results of a referendum if it voted in favour of United no, Ireland? No I think it would cause more trouble and I take it from me. I'm Aideen Finnegan and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, how would you vote in a referendum on a united Ireland? Pat Leahy, you are the political editor of the Irish Times and you're on top of this mountain of information that's been gleaned from some very enlightening Ipsos research and it's all part of our North and South series running in the paper and online, obviously. Why why are we doing this? I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> why are we? Why? Why are we? Doing, sure. Why do we ever? Do, okay. Hold on. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose there's a couple of things coming together that prompted us to do this now. Partly, this is due to the rise of Sinn Fein to the point where it's the most popular party measured by polls uh, on the island in both jurisdictions. Without a shadow of a doubt, I believe that we will we will see constitutional change in the course probably of the next decade. Of, of that, there is no doubt. And we need to prepare for that. Also, I think, as of changing demographics in the north because of Brexit. And I suppose, you know, what we are looking at just this week, the centenary of the state, which is kind of the culmination of the decade of centenaries. And I think that's prompted all sorts of questions, not just about the past, but about the future of the country. So all those things coming together prompted us to undertake this research project. So maybe you might give us some of the headline figures or stories that emerged out of the polls. You know, did they did they tell you what you were expecting? 
Yeah, to a point, um, I suppose we would have expected to see some findings. So we opened on Saturday and the headline findings then were that there was a strong majority in the South for a united Ireland amongst voters who declared a preference, about four to one, 66 percent up against 66 percent in favour of United Ireland. But a different story then in the North where amongst voters who declared a choice, uh, they were two to one against. And that was perhaps a little bit stronger of a majority against a United Ireland than I had anticipated. A a couple of things should be added um, to that, I think, though. Um, One is that there's quite a high number of undecideds in the South, or in the North, rather, somewhere between a quarter and a fifth of all voters in the North said that they were undecided. The other thing to note about it is that while there was a majority against Irish unity in the North, there was a majority of people who said that they wanted to see a border poll. So they wanted to see a referendum. About 55% of all voters said that they wanted to see a referendum, including a large minority of voters who came from a Protestant background. So there's clearly a bunch of voters in the North Uh, nationalist voters who want to see uh, a referendum so they can vote yes in it. But there's also a bunch of unionist voters in the North who want to see a referendum, presumably because they think at this point they could win it. We described how voters in the South are greatly in favour of both holding a referendum and say they will vote in favour of a united Ireland in it. But Many of them quite reluctant, almost half of voters quite reluctant to make the sort of changes that might accommodate unionists in a united Ireland. So almost half of voters saying that it would make them less likely to vote for a united Ireland if there were to be in the in the new united entity a different flag, a different anthem, some constitutional guarantees to unionists about being able to veto legislation uh, and so forth. Biggest concern among voters in the South was that a united Ireland would be peaceful and significant concern amongst voters again in the South that were there to be loyalist violence, significant loyalist violence in advance of a referendum, that would make an awful lot of Southern voters less likely to vote in favour of a uh, of a united Ireland. In the North, peace is less of a concern. The economy, yes, but also the health service is a huge concern for voters in the North. So we see that, you know, underneath these top line figures of support or opposition to United Ireland uh, in, in North and South, there's a lot of other dynamics uh, going on as well. And we saw that further today when uh, uh, when we published the third instalment of the poll, where we see that a sizable enough minority of unionist voters in the in the North, almost a third of them. 20% of the population as a whole, but almost a third of unionists who say they would find a united Ireland almost impossible to accept. And uh, I think that shows that there is a sort of a, there's sort of a hard core of, uh, of unionist and loyalist 
voters who would find it very difficult to reconcile themselves to living in a uh, in in a united Ireland were that to be the uh, outcome of of referendums north and south I felt like obviously a third is a big proportion but I sort of thought that number might be higher so that leaves a significant chunk of people who either would be okay with it or aren't sure. Oh yeah, for sure. The vast majority of people north and uh, and south are Democrats and they say they will, you know, abide by the results of any referendum. So, uh, you know, there's a large number of unions voters who say that they would not be happy with it but that they would accept it. And uh, just under half of all voters in the North say that, you know, that they would happily accept the result of a unity referendum. Again, were the referendum to go the other way, there's much greater acceptance because I suppose it's simply a continuance of the status quo. But there's a much greater acceptance in the North of a result that uh, that kept the, the North within uh, the United Kingdom. There's a small number of voters who say they would find that almost impossible to accept, but um, but not a significant amount. But that minority, and we should stress that it is a minority, but it's a big minority of unionist voters, were there to be referendums, were they both to vote yes, then that, I think, would be a significant issue for the new state, the new unified state, to deal with a, you know, a large minority of people who might find themselves alienated from uh, from the new state. And that is a particular problem by reference to some of the statistics that we talked about just a couple of minutes ago, the, that unwillingness of many people in the South to countenance changes to the political arrangements and political symbols of a potential United Ireland in order to accommodate unionists. That's fascinating. And I wonder, were you able to tease that out more in the focus groups? Because, you know, I mean, it's not a hard no that they said, because the question was, are you less likely to vote? So they're not saying they wouldn't vote for a United Ireland. But there's there's an echo of the never, never, never about people in the Republic here on issues such as the anthem and the flag. Yeah, it's fascinating, Aideen. I mean, it it, it, it kind of shows, I think, a couple of things. One, you know, that there hasn't been much in-depth thinking in the South, certainly, about what a united Ireland would mean. And that while you have these very large majorities of people who reflexively say, yes, I would like a united Ireland, the number of people who have, or the proportion of those who have actually thought about what it would mean and what they might be perhaps prepared to do to bring it about and to make it a success is much, much smaller. And uh, you see that not just in the quantitative data that the polls give us, but also throughout the focus groups that there is this sense of people that they don't really know what it means, that they're positively disposed towards it. uh, But, uh, but there is uh, the more they talk about it in the focus groups, the more many of them see that. Hold on a second. There's a whole heap of thinking and planning and discussion that needs to go on if this is a going to happen and b be a success. And what did do? You, do you have any stories from the focus groups around what people said in the in the groups in the south? Uh, we saw considerable burnout by the hard numbers in the polling research, but. You know, they they gave us a sort of a sense of how 
people were concerned about the prospect of a return to violence in in a situation or that militant loyalism would turn to violence. Several people over the course of uh, Southern Focus Group saying that they were concerned about it, also concerned about the economic consequences of uh, of a united Ireland. Great concern in the North on an economic front and about public services, particularly health. So all of those concerns that we see coming out in the hard numbers of the research, they were all very evident in the uh, in the focus groups as well. I remember one uh, woman in the southern focus groups during the portion of the discussion where they are talking about the economic impact of a united Ireland. And again, you see in this the extent to which the memories of, you know, a decade ago or a decade and a half ago, the financial crash are still very clear in people's, uh, in people's minds. One woman said the quote that, that stuck in my brain about it. She said, you know, maybe I'm a Debbie Downer, but I just can't see it happening without us all going bankrupt. <laughs> so, uh, so that was the sort of thing, you know, that, that we saw. In terms of the focus groups then that were held on this side of the border, do you get a sense that people have an idea of a united Ireland in the emotional and the abstract without ever really challenging themselves about what that would mean? Yeah, they do. Um, You know, I think the reflexive position, and we see this in the top line numbers as well as, you know, where we say like two thirds of people say they would vote for uh, vote for United Ireland. And, you know, typically this has been characterised in the past of are you in favour of United Ireland? Yes, I am. Would you be prepared to pay for it? No. Would you be prepared to make concessions to unionists? No. And, you know, I think it would be an overreading of the research to summarise it in those terms. But I think what we can say from it is that the instinctive, reflexive, top of mind response to a United Ireland when you ask Southern voters is certainly qualified and complicated when they are asked about specific concerns about it. And again, this was amplified a bit in the, uh, in the focus groups where both North and South actually, what people were very clearly saying was that they needed information to, uh, to be in a position to properly make up their minds. Now, bear in mind, the focus groups were among undecided and swing voters. So this effect... Yeah, who are they, Pat? Who are undecided? Well, they're undecided. You know, they're people who say they don't know how they would vote. Are they from a, a certain demographic? We mixed up the demographics deliberately in the, okay. uh, in the focus groups. Are there people who are saying, you know, yes, I would vote yes, or no, I would vote no, but I'm open to changing my mind in the light of a discussion in advance of any vote. So that desire for information about what a united Ireland would mean, things like the flags and symbols, but also, you know, the impact of concerns uh, about the economy would have for an awful lot of people. And in the South, especially concerns about whether the process would be peaceful uh, uh, or not are, are very evident in the focus group discussions as well as in the qualitative research. All about the economy and perhaps in the case of the North, it's not because identity is such a powerful and emotive subject and I'm minded to think of the Scottish referendum, which ultimately did seem to come down to the economic impact that independence would bring about. Now, obviously, everything has changed since then. Uh, but I guess from the focus groups and what people told you, where do you think people come down mostly? Like when you mentioned the health system there, 
like there's there's much fewer people with private health insurance in the north because of the NHS. You know, so it would be about the economy for a huge proportion. But I'm just curious about the lean in which direction it goes. Yeah, I mean, look, I would be cautious. Statements like it's all about the economy or it's all about the health service or it's all about that. What we can say, I think, from these researches, these are the sort of things that people will want clarity about in advance of, of any vote. And we know, as you referenced from the Scottish debate, you know, that you know, where there is concerns about the economic impact of a constitutional change like that, it can be decisive for many voters. Like, you can't say that it's decisive for all voters because, you know, you're talking about a vote that takes place all across society and people have different priorities. We know, for instance, you know, that the economy wasn't decisive or concerns about the economy weren't decisive in, say, the Brexit vote, which was maybe the ultimate demonstration that politics and sovereignty and things like that can matter more to people than just strict economic concerns. The answer, of course, is that it's a mix of all these things. For some voters, it'll be the economy. For other voters, it'll be sovereignty. For other voters, it'll be the health service. I think what comes across very strongly, not just in the research, but especially in the focus groups, is that people don't know what it would mean for these things. And therefore, the advocates for both a united Ireland and for the continuation of the union between Northern Ireland, essentially, I suppose, from this research, have a sort of a comprehensive roadmap for their campaigns. They have a roadmap of people's concerns and they will have to address those concerns in a way that pushes people into their camps if they want to win, I think. We'll have more from Pat Leahy coming up after this break. 
Well, there's, of course, people who are very politically minded and they care, but amongst the general population... Yeah, we, we were actually, we were going to poll on the Connacht final, but we just ran out of space <laughs> on the, um, we ran out of space on the survey. Like, in a way, that's that's not all that, that surprising. Not everybody thinks about politics and constitutional questions, perhaps with the same frequency as, uh, as, as we do in the Irish Times. You know, and we will have further research um, coming out as part of this survey, which will, uh, which will shed some light on how much of a priority people think uh, a united Ireland is for them or the maintenance uh, of the union. But suffice to say, at this point, that previous surveys would tend to suggest that that it is not a massive priority. You ask people about their political concerns, they will tend to talk about public services, they tend to talk about the economy, they tend to talk about things that are directly relevant to their own personal lives. And that's not to say that constitutional questions and sovereignty are unimportant for them. Clearly, they're not. But it's just not something that impinges on their daily lives. And therefore, it is often a mar has a marginal effect on their political choices at the ballot box. The point about a referendum is that it's not like a general election. So, you know, voters are asked a question on a particular issue. In a general election, of course, parties have to talk about all these things, not just the constitutional future of the uh, of the island, which I suspect would play uh, a small part in the next general election, which is likely to be dominated by things like the health service, uh, housing, future of the economy, public services, and so forth. But if there were to be a referendum, then the referendum, however voters may choose to vote on it, at the end of the day, the referendum is about the question that is on the ballot paper. Yes, and I suppose if you are, you know, the likes of Sinn Féin or if you were an advocate for a united Ireland, you'd want to have absolutely everything worked out before you put the question to the people because based off this uh, research, if you held the, the poll tomorrow, it will be roundly rejected. And you remind us there, Pat, before we go about how a referendum would be triggered. What are the provisions? The Good Friday Agreement is, is clear in some respects of this, but quite am, ambiguous on uh, on other respects of it. What it's clear about is that it's the responsibility of the British government. So the Good Friday Agreement says that the uh, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland shall call uh, a border poll if it appears likely to him, and it uses the masculine pronoun in the agreement, I'm afraid, that a vote would be carried. And what you... I think it's difficult to reach any conclusion from this poll and indeed from all the other published research on the uh, on the subject that any outcome other than a defeat for a united Ireland if the poll was uh, poll was held in northern Ireland uh, is is likely so it's hard to say that on the basis of this poll that the British government would feel any pressure to call a uh, a poll uh, a border poll under the terms of the good friday agreement That having been said, that sits slightly awkwardly with the clear desire for a vote both north and south of the border. And in a way, I think that underlines the importance of presenting this research now because this issue is not going to disappear, it seems to me, from the political agenda for the foreseeable future. It is there, it's out there. I think the more we know about it and the more reliable information that we have about the state of the public's mind on this, north and south, uh, I think the better equipped we are to deal with those challenges in the future.
Yeah, very interesting to see how many people, both sides of the border and from all traditions, are actually happy enough to have their say. It just might not go the way many people hope. Pat Leahy, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the News will be back on Friday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.